Well, I'd like to turn back this evening to uh, Psalm 103 uh, as we look at uh, the next of our uh, Sunday evening psalms. And uh, this is a well-known one, I guess. It's a well-known one in our free church context. We've sung it for many years uh, in the metrical version. And it's a psalm of praise, a psalm of blessing. And so the, the title really of the sermon is Count Your Blessings, because in many ways that's what the psalmist is asking us all to do as believers, is asking us to count our blessings. Um, we're looking at the psalm on page 502, the Old Testament uh, uh, psalm, the book of uh, Psalms. And that's uh, what we planted. There's no clear uh, knowledge of the uh, circumstances in which this psalm's been written. Uh, we don't know David's personal circumstances. It's a psalm of David, but we don't know his personal circumstances. There's one or two hints in it what it might have been. Uh, but the great thing about a lot of the psalms of David is that they're quite generic at that level. They're quite uh, open and uh, they're quite free to be used and applied in different circumstances. But we do see in this psalm very clear Holy Spirit influence and an almost uncanny knowledge of salvation uh, that David is able to express uh, in the psalm and the sense of thanksgiving that comes from it. So really the psalm is about thanksgiving. It's about returning thanks and re- blessing and praising God for what he's done for us. And uh, it's a, an important thing for us to do that we don't forget to, to do that. You know, the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's a terrible thing to be forgotten, isn't it? Um, I don't know if I should say this in church. Uh, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because uh, the person isn't here, so I don't feel quite so bad. But I felt really bad this morning. Really bad after church. Because I spoke to someone on the way out. And I said, are you visiting? And I said, well, we've, I've been here for five or six weeks. And I've asked him that question at least twice. Uh, but he looked so different today. But... I, uh, you know, it's a terrible thing to be forgotten. <laughs> and uh, he must have felt terrible. Just as some minister this. There's uh, no idea who's coming into his church. And he's welcomed me three or four times. So you all have to pray that he'll forgive me. And uh, he will come back uh, with his family to church. Uh, but you know what it's like if you go to a place and nobody recognizes you've been there lots. You feel kind of rubbish, really. And forgotten. And... Um, or if you do something for someone and they don't bother to thank you, it's a really nice thing when people say thanks. Uh, it's, it's lovely that we can teach our children to say thank you for gifts. And uh, I think that's very important spiritually also as Christians, that we don't forget to give thanks, that we don't forget to bless God and to praise him for all his benefits. Uh, Shakespeare is quoted as saying how uh, sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. And uh, uh, the reality is that that is true in life generally. To receive a lot of gifts, to receive a lot of goodness and love and belonging from people and to have no sense of thanksgiving is a terrible thing. So this is really a call to thanks. It's a call to count our blessings. It's a call to give praise to God. And uh, that's something that is very important in the Christian. It's what sets us apart from uh, uh, many people because 
One of the great things about being a Christian is that when we do have a great sense of thanksgiving for our lives or for something good that's happened or just for being alive, we have someone to thank. We have someone we know and someone we can uh, genuinely give thanks to. And I think that's one of the great realities that sets us apart, that we can give thanks and praise to God for who he is and what he's done. And praise is an important part of our lives, whether it be praise in song or whether it be praise in obedience and praise through our lives. It's a supremely significant part of what we do. And I believe for us as Christians, it's, a, it's both a command, but it's also a lifestyle choice. You need to, cho- and I need to choose to praise him. Because there will be many times in our lives, outwardly, when there are things are happening, when we think there's no, re- no, I, well, There's no tangible, immediate reason why we should be praising him. Uh, But as we think on his character and as we think on what he's done for us, it enables us to praise him. You know, we can't look at the life of David and say he was a kind of ivory-towered believer, that he just lived uh, and um, um, uh, created these beautiful uh, sonnets and these beautiful songs uh, from some kind of uh, place of, protection and isolation from the world and its problems. David faced death many times. David was a king among his people. David knew bitterness and sadness and betrayal and adultery and murder and all kinds of things in his life. It wasn't that he had a sheltered life, but he was one who nonetheless was able to channel his life of faith into the sense of praise. It was a light, it becomes for us a lifestyle choice. And so it must be for each of us tonight a lifestyle choice um, or a command. Can I put it that way as well? When I say lifestyle choice, I just mean that it, it's something we need to choose to do. Okay? Because we can choose to be grumpy. We can choose to be thankless. But we can choose to dedicate our lives and our minds towards thanksgiving. Now, why would I say that? Well, because the psalm uh, isn't... Um, initially, although it's written into the presence of God and, and for God and to give thanks to God. And it's not written to the church primarily, and it's not written to uh, David's family. It's written to himself. So this is a soliloquy, a soliloquy psalm, as David is writing to himself and he's speaking to himself. And he's telling himself what he has to do and what he's trying to remind himself that's important to do. Oh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So there's a great introduction to this psalm where the psalmist, where David is reminding us of the significance of being Christians Believers who speak to ourselves. It's a great thing they say today. The first sign of madness is if you speak to yourself. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, and certainly not spiritually. I think spiritually it's a, a tremendous discipline and a great uh, characteristic that we learn to speak to our own souls. Do you know, do you know what I mean when I'm saying that? Uh, do you appreciate uh, what I'm, I'm maybe, uh, maybe, maybe you don't do it, or I'm sure all of us do. We speak to ourselves. And I think it's something conscious and something deliberate and something that 
just as you go to have a conversation with someone else, it's a very deliberate act and something you decide to do. So speaking to yourself spiritually is something that uh, we need to do. We give ourselves a prod and we speak to ourselves and we remind ourselves of our own soul's existence. And we speak and remind our souls, our consciousness, our beings, our ego, however you want to describe it, what makes us us, the, the totality of our being, we speak to that as believers and remind ourselves who we are. In our self-consciousness, we remind ourselves who we are as believers because it's easy for us to forget. And he says... Uh, Deep within ourselves, you know, this isn't to be a shallow passing uh, conversation that sometimes we would have on a Sunday morning. Um, It's not a quick glance in the spiritual mirror. It's taking time to be in our own company and speaking to ourselves uh, from the very core of our being and allowing the truths of God to infiltrate the very core of our being so that we might recognize and consider and list and remind ourselves of all his benefits. That's where we are able to find praise um, emanating from. So praise is to come deep from within ourselves as we spend time allowing the truths of God and the realities of God in our lives to permeate our being, to break down the forgetfulness and to give us a sense of gratitude, soul praise, deep feeling. Now, that, I think that is becoming an increasingly difficult thing to do because we live in a supremely noisy world, a world where we don't have much opportunity or freedom to speak to our souls. We're not great with silence. We're not great with our own company. We're not great with, at that level with uh, introspection. And I'm not talking about introspection in a negative way, but simply uh, self-examination. Um, it's easy to be distracted. There's a thousand different things on a daily basis that can distract us from spending time with our own souls. And, you know, the, the, the media world in which we live and uh, uh, the kind of things we're able to do mean that we can fill our time always without ever speaking to our souls or taking time uh, to do that. So I think it's a great gift. It's a great spiritual gift to develop in our lives that we speak to ourselves and uh, we remind ourselves uh, of the spiritual blessings we have as believers. So we remind ourselves uh, as we speak of our deliverance and of our God. The psalmist says that in verses 3 to 5. You know, remember, don't forget his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like uh, the eagles. So there is the psalmist speaking um, probably very much personally. There's testimonial words here, words of testimony and strength, that this is one who's been forgiven, one who has been healed, one who's been redeemed, one who's been rescued. Probably in some ways it was, it was literal. Uh, 
he would have been physically uh, healed and, and possibly uh, physically released from a dungeon or a pit or somewhere at some point in his life uh, with the enemies he had. But he was also uh, recognizing that he was satisfied with the goodness. And we've been looking at this in different ways over the last few weeks. And this morning, looking at youth being renewed like the eagles. Now, I've tried in lots of different places to find out why that image is used. What is it specifically about eagles uh, that they're used as an illustration for the renewal of youth? And I, I haven't found anything satisfactory. So if you find anything, or if you know anything, if, you, if you're an ornithological person and know something about eagles that might explain uh, why they're being used. And they're used also in Isaiah uh, in the same way. It could be it, various people speak about their uh, leaves, uh, their feathers uh, being shed, and, and they, they seem to renew their youth. As, as you can see, I'm not great ornithologically. Uh, but they uh, do something about that. I'm not sure, to be honest. But nonetheless, the truth is that uh, spiritually, uh, we can recognize a, a renewal and a refreshment and a, a revitalization that is wholly miraculous and God-given. And uh, as we remember that in our lives, that we don't simply follow the way of the world and that we age and that we become cynical and we become weak, that that might happen outwardly, physically, but inwardly there's that, as we mentioned this morning, that renewal and that refreshment and that satisfaction uh, with his steadfast love and his mercy, which we'll go on to say a little bit more about. So there's this reminder of the personal deliverance, uh, that testimony of personal deliverance. And again, I think we live in a society, uh, we live in a day and generation where the most powerful witness, the most powerful thing we can do in terms of sharing the gospel is sharing our own personal testimony of God's goodness and grace. That is hugely powerful today where people are not quite so willing to, um, in a secular and maybe uh, atheistic world uh, view, are not so willing to accept uh, uh, truth or uh, infallible truth from the Word of God uh, as being authoritative for them. We hope they come obviously round to that position, but we know that personal testimony the reality of what Jesus has done for me and how he's transformed and changed my life is something that, that people are more willing to listen to and accept and be challenged by because they can relate to that. They can relate to you because you're an ordinary person. I'm an ordinary person. And when they see that our lives have been changed by Jesus Christ, they can relate that that must be something real. And David's reminding his soul of the importance of that testimony of personal deliverance and also reminding himself of the nature and the character of God. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Uh, his ways made known to Moses, to the people of Israel, the Lord is merciful. And, and one of the, uh, it's used often in the Old Testament uh, and a very, oh, it could almost be a, a declarative theological statement of the living God uh, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. There's a great um, keynote statement about the character of God right in the middle of the Old Testament uh, with hints of Calvary in there. That we have the Lord God who is 
in merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And this character of himself, uh, this character that is revealed is what David needs to remind his own soul of. Both the personal testimony, the reality of, of what he has experienced of God, and the character and nature, the truth of God as he's revealed in himself. So you've got the truth and personal testimony giving utter conviction to this guy, David. And that's very true uh, of our lives, is when we know and understand God as he's revealed, and when we have a personal and powerful testimony, the two come together and uh, give great conviction. And uh, that's a challenge for us both to be grounded in the word and also to think through our our personal testimony and to consider uh, if we were asked what we would be able to say. What is it that we say when we're asked about our faith? Do we hide behind sometimes um, uh, truth that comes from God's word, which is truth? Are, Are we unable to verbalize the personal testimony that we have of God's deliverance and God's goodness in our day-to-day living. I think that is an important challenge for us to consider. But then the psalmist goes on, and we just look at this for a few moments. Uh, he goes on, as it were, to um, elucidate a lot of the different characteristics of God, to remind himself of these things, uh, because they are helpful to him as he goes forward in his uh, life of faith. And it is good for us to do the same. Uh, and we do so very briefly, um, uh, to, as it were, not just speak to our souls, but take time just to soak our souls in the truth of God. It's like, you know, like, like having a good, I have used this analogy before, it's like having a good bath. You're soaking your body in a bath as opposed to having a quick shower. Okay? We live in a site where everything's quick and we want to get everything done quickly. Maybe the same with our relationship with God. We just quick word with him every so often now. I'll just keep us going. But here's saying, just, just relax. Take time in his company. Take time away from other things and give him the time that he is due just to consider who dwell on his uh, character, pamper our souls with the goodness of God's grace so that it can uh, change and channel our praise and our lives. We see in verse 9 the reluctance of his anger. He will not chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. His anger, we're told in the word, is but for a moment. And uh, the reality of that is that he is a God who is a God primarily who is love. God is love. He deals with injustice, and he deals with that on the cross, and he deals with that in his judgment. But in reality, his anger lasts, but from, in his justice, it will be dealt with. And uh, we know that it's not capricious and it's not just random and it's not just thoughtless. His amazing mercy, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. And a great text, a great verse to consider and to remember in our ongoing lives uh, because it, it makes us really humble and appreciative of what mercy is that he, he doesn't deal with us as we deserve and doesn't repay us according to our sins, not what we deserve. That therefore will change always the way we think about 
and relate to other people and the mercy that we will show to other people. I think, again, I've used this illustration at some point here before. Uh, there was a deserter in Napoleon's army who uh, was captured and who was brought before Napoleon uh, where he would have been executed as Napoleon passed judgment on him for uh, deserting the cause. And uh, the soldier's mother came uh, and burst into the room and fell on her knees uh, before Napoleon and pleaded uh, for mercy for her son. And uh, Napoleon said he doesn't deserve mercy for what he did. And she said if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. And I think that's so important for us to remember that it, mercy is mercy because it's not deserved. We haven't earned it. We aren't better than other people. We haven't uh, stood before God and said, look, come on, accept me for who I am. Mercy is something that we don't deserve. And it saves us from ourselves and helps us to look at others in a, a much more different and graceful light. His amazing mercy, the greatness of his love, verse 11, for as high as heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And we're brought in here to a, a, a recurring theme of this psalm, which is the fear of the Lord. And it's an important one. And anything that's repeated uh, by the Spirit through these things reminds us of its importance. And that fear uh, refers to reverence and awe and worship. And it's, it relates all of this psalm to that walk of faith and that walk of trust and dependence on the Lord God. So we have the greatness of his love. It's not mediocre. It's not half-hearted. Uh, it is a great love and it is the fundamental reality of our experience. Behind all our praise must come a recognition and uh, an acknowledgement of the greatness of the love of God. Um, I think sometimes that's hard for us. Uh, it's hard to recognize that. It's hard to see it. And uh, we live in a world where we're battling against things that challenge that. But we're reminded always to come back to the place where that love is greatest revealed on the cross of Calvary. And because of the cross of Calvary, we reflect on the totality of his forgiveness um, we're reminded uh, as far as east in verse 12 is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us so in Christ you stand you sit this evening uh, forgiven before the judge of all mankind great thing that our guilt is removed from us um, uh, so far as east is from the west is that a picture is that an analogy just that he's put uh, us and our sins on different horizons that they, they just don't they don't interact they're as far away as they possibly could be it's as if when he looks at us he can't look at our sin it's like they're, they're different when he's facing us and when we're accepted because of what christ has done he can't look at us in our failure and our sin and when he looks at our sin he sees christ on the cross and uh, uh, we are cleansed and for the totality of his forgiveness. So we will stand on the last day, the totality of his forgiveness will absolutely be there for us, forgiven as far as east is distant from the west. His tender compassion 
As a father shows compassion for his children, so the Lord, so the Lord shows compassion for those who fear him. Uh, great comforting, strengthening, everyday uh, analogy of the importance and the significance of family love. And I know in many cases in this life that family love isn't there. And it's a poor illustration because many fathers can it, can, it can be seen to be a poor illustration because many fathers can be brutal and uncompassionate and uncaring. But this is giving the kind of, the longing, the, perf- the, the perfect illustration of the perfect father that deep down we would all long for, or the deep down we would all long to be, or the perfect mother, uh, as is in Isaiah 66, verse 13, speaks about God's love being like a mother's love for their child. And it's that prodigal, it's the, it's the prodigal picture again, isn't it? That as people, uh, we have shown such great ingratitude. The prodigal son who takes everything from his home and uh, spends it all in riotous living and wishes his father was dead and ends up uh, eating pig's food and uh, longs to go back eventually and to be a servant. And then we're told that the father is longing to look out. A longing for the son to return. And when he sees him, he's filled with compassion. And he lifts up his, his robes and he runs out in a very uh, undignified way. And all his servants would have been sniggering and laughing at he was doing something so undignified. And, go and he just hugs his son and takes him to be uh, with himself. That is God's picture, Jesus' picture of, of his compassion for his people. Filled with compassion. That even in our backslidings and our turning away from him, he longs for us to be with him, just like a father, like a mother, and wants us uh, to be in his company. His intimate understanding, with this we're nearly we're done, in verse 14, he knows our frame, he remembers we are dust, and uh, we knows we flourish like a flower of the field, the wind is over and it's gone, its place knows no more. It's intimate understanding. You know, we don't need to be gods. We don't need to be supermen. He knows what we're like. He says, the psalmist is basically saying, I know how you feel. I know what it's like for you. I know your weakness. I know the temptations that you face. I understand your tears and your loneliness and your sense of inadequacy and your lack of uh, identity in me. I, I know what it's like. I've been among you and I've taken on humanity and uh, I've created you and I've seen how that has that image has been broken and all that goes with it because of sins and I know I know what is good in your life and I long for you uh, to appreciate that and these are kind of the things that he's wanting us to speak to our soul about and to consider in our lives. And throughout that, he's speaking in, uh, of the importance. Again, in 17 and 18, steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting for those who fear him. And then later on, again, for those who fear him. Uh, then it's those who remember him and who do his will. And so there's that great reminder to us of living uh, worshipful, uh, awestruck, uh, lives of respect and awe for the living God as we are touched by his grace and we understand his great compassion. 
And so he ends the psalm. Uh, he begins the psalm with a twofold uh, command uh, to praise, uh, bless, bless the Lord of my soul, bless the Lord of my soul. And so it's very personal and very independent, uh, very, um, uh, very much looking uh, into the individual Christian life, the believer's life. But then he finishes with a fourfold call to blessing. Um, and uh, it's much wider and it's, it's much more all-encompassing. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word of being. His word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his word. Bless the Lord, all his works, the creation, the trees that are going to sing uh, and praise him, and uh, which will clap their hands. Uh, it, as all creation recognizes and falls before the great creator. And then bless the Lord, O my soul. So we have this cacophony of praise that is commanded from all of creation and uh, uh, the heavenly realms and in our own souls. So we join a very significant and important chorus uh, when we speak to our souls and when we are able to praise him. And I hope uh, that you can do that. I hope that you are able to spend time speaking to your own soul, speaking to yourself uh, about uh, the blessings of God and the blessings of grace. And uh, I hope that these are blessings that uh, you've taken for yourself and uh, above all the great blessing of rescue and redemption in Jesus Christ. And as we speak to our souls about these things, it gives us identity and it gives us perspective and it gives us hope and it gives us a future. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the very human reminders that it gives us of what we need to do. And we ask that you'd forgive us for the tendency we have to forget. We thank you for the Lord's Supper that you give us uh, because uh, you know we're prone to forget. And you said, do this in remembrance of me. We thank you for the Psalms which tell us not to forget. And we ask your forgiveness when we are thankless children, when we uh, eat, uh, when we drink, when we wake up, when we live our lives, when we use the gifts we've been given, when we uh, get promotion, when we find a partner in life, when uh, we have children, when uh, we have so many things in life that happen to us uh, that are amazing, help us to give thanks. And help us to give thanks that in the battles and in the struggles and in the sadnesses and in the loss and in the separation and in the loneliness, we have a saviour who is rescuing and redeeming and buying us back and uh, will give uh, that tremendous sense of identity and longing and belonging that he alone can give, that one that will go beyond the grave and that will enable us to be renewed inwardly uh, day by day. So help us to conclude our worship this evening with songs of praise, with a, a sense of... Uh, our deepest souls being able to express uh, our heartfelt thanks to the living God. For Jesus' sake, amen.